Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. When I was young and in school, the Ten Commandments were on the wall. I'm not going to get into a big thing on it, but I do think it was a serious mistake to take them out. Why? There was something good about having young men and young women, boys and girls, see, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not. Why? Because it said there's a moral code. In today's broadcast, we have a new two-part message from Pastor Sam entitled, The Lord's Prayer. We're now in Luke chapter 11, and we will be looking at the first 13 verses. In this section of scripture, Jesus not only teaches his disciples, and us, how to pray, what to say, but also helps us understand the urgency and persistence our prayer lives need to have. So let's listen in. Luke chapter 11 begins with a revelation of how God would have us relate to him and to one another. It was something that no one in the Old Testament would have ever conceived of, though they knew their creator, though they had a relationship with him. They had the law, they had the prophets, they had the tabernacle, they had the sacrifices. They knew God in the very same ways that people know God today. Well, they knew him as creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's a progressive revelation, by the way, of who he is and what he does and what that means. God, it's the word Elohim. It comes from the root word El. And well, I'm a Samuel. You can hear it more clearly if I see Samuel because the last two letters of my name are E-L. That is the root for God. And so asked of God goes back to a Old Testament story and parable. And uh, but in any case, um, here, here's here's what God does. He reveals himself as the creator. Then he reveals himself as the sustainer. He reveals himself as the Lord. And when he reveals himself as Lord, you'll read in the King James and in the New King James, I don't know if they've preserved this in all of the translations. You can actually go back and see if it says G-O-D, it's going to be L or Elohim. If it says L-O-R-D, all caps, it is going to be Y-H-W-H. We'll explain why in a couple of moments in another context here. But uh, basically it was unpronounceable but it speaks of God as the Redeemer, as the Savior. We do know that you shall call his name Jesus, New Testament, for he will save his people from their sins. We also have the word Adonai. It's God Almighty, the Almighty One. And, and again, in the old King James, and I believe they've kept it in the new, you'll see a large, a capital L and then O-R-D, smaller letters down you know, below or beyond. And, and those are telling you that God is now relating to you as the Almighty One. Well, what happens here in Luke, as it did in Matthew, is Jesus just breaks all of this wide open. He does it in response to a request from one of his disciples that he teach them to pray as John taught his disciples. They'd observe Jesus praying. We read that. It came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. When he ceased, one of his disciples came to him. Lord, teach us to pray, he says, as John also taught 
his disciples. There had to have been something about Jesus' prayer life that caused these disciples to say, we want to know more. We want to understand better. We want to pray more effectively. We want to pray more sincerely. And, and, and of course, these are men of prayer. How do we know that? He doesn't say if you pray or he doesn't tell them that they need to pray. He says, when you pray, pray this way. When you pray, say, our Father in heaven. Our Father, this is what breaks it all open. You see, Creator, well, we know the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament His handiwork. We understand that He is powerful and almighty and together and organized because we see creation and they testify of God's existence. But we can't really understand the heart of the Father by simply looking at His creation. No, we needed a revelation and Jesus brings it to us. Hebrews tells us that God spoke in times past through the prophets and, and through the law and such, but he's spoken to us in these last days by his son. So here we have Jesus talking to us and telling us how, well, God wants us to relate to him. And again, you would have never conceived this, just as people do in our day. You've talked to people and they're like, yeah, you know, I got a relationship with the man upstairs. I'm like, what, your landlord? Because the man upstairs, that's how you relate to God. Oh, I know he's the creator. Well, if you know him only as creator or only as sustainer or only as provider, that's how you relate to him. But Jesus says, I want you to pray this way. Our Father, it is a very intimate revelation of how God wants us to relate to him. Now, again, our Father. Father, it, it, it's personal. It's relational. It, it's not just he's out there. He's powerful. He's radical. No, he, he's caring and 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 wants us to know him in a, 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 that kind of a way. Now, pop theology teaches that we're all children of God. Jesus says otherwise. Jesus says, unless a man be born again, he'll never see the kingdom of God. Jesus says, you must be born of the, the water and the spirit. There has to be a spiritual reality in your relationship with God. Or you can't really call him your father. And, and that's really what Jesus is saying. There is this unique and special relationship because we have been born again in the words of Jesus or adopted in in the words of Paul. And they're both good pictures. They're just a way for God to express that he wants more than for us to know he's there and be you know, fearful of him or, or desiring things from him. He wants us to have an intimate, personal relationship with him. So it's our father. Now, you know, of course, that the closer you are to someone, the more intimate your interaction with them. And, and this even goes to how we, you know, speak to one another. I'm sure if you've been married a while, you have a pet name for your wife or your husband. I don't need to know it. It's between you and them. I mean, I have friends and they're like, smoochy, smoochy, smoochy. And then I kind of, I don't know what happened. I started calling Pam that. And it was like, how did that happen? I made fun of them doing it. And then I ended up doing it. 
But, but, you know, in the family relationship, well, we relate to one another in unique and wonderful ways. My boys always just called me dad. They were little ruffians from day one. And, uh, but but my, my grandchildren, well, things are a little different. My, my oldest grandson, he's two, Elijah, he, um, he called me Papa. And I like that, you know, it's like, Papa, yeah, it's cool. He called me that for a year and a half. And then one day he changed my name to Bat-Bat. And I'm like, Bat-Bat? Who's bat bad? And he gets this funny look on his face and stuff. And, and one day I figured it out. He's going between Nana's car and my car. And he looks at her car and says, Nana. And he looks at my car and says, bat bat. And, and so I, I mentioned this, by the way, last night. Now, this is just something between little Elijah and me, because somebody after the service asked him, is that your bat bat? And he looked at her, stared her down. He's only two. It's like, no. And, and, and she's like, is it your papa? And he goes, bat, bat. And so it's, what's he telling her? You're not supposed to call him bat, bat. That's between me and him. That's personal. That's individual, you see. And, and God is here authorizing us not just to call him creator and sustainer and provider, but to call him father. It's literally Daddy, call him Abba, Father, we're told. It, it, it's so intimate and so personal and so precious. Only a real child of God can begin to relate. Well, he says, pray our Father. And that reminds me that, that while it's equally true that he is my heavenly Father, he wants us to relate. The first word in prayer connects us with one another. It's not just... My father, he's our father and he's our father in heaven. He points us to a reality, a, a place. The, the Bible says that well, heaven is my throne, our Lord says, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you'll make for me? And if you've wondered, is heaven for real? Is it an actual place, an actual destination? I want to assure you it is. It is his personal residing place. It is the place where your mom and dad or grandma and grandpa or sons and daughters or brothers and sisters, if they've died already and they were in the Lord, it's where they are at this very moment, celebrating, worshiping, enjoying him in a way we can only begin to imagine. You see, absent from the body, according to Paul in 2 Corinthians, is to be present with the Lord. So it isn't just the hope of heaven, it's the reality of heaven. It's our ultimate destination. Absent from the body, how does that happen? Through death or through rapture. Either way, in the presence of God, perfected in heaven. And we know when the Lord returns to establish his kingdom on earth, which we're about to pray for, well, we return with him to rule and to reign for a thousand years. So he says, here's how I want you to pray. Pray, our Father in heaven. This gives me perspective immediately. It reminds me that though my needs are great and my fears may be overwhelming me, my God is greater and, and his ability and willingness to meet our needs, well, it's really there in the word Father. Then we go from relationship, and that's what our Father in heaven speaks of, to worship. Hallowed be your name. 
Now, now this is praise and adoration for the one whose name is above every other name. The word Hollywood means holy, set apart, unique, pure, perfect. And names, of course, in scripture, they refer to nature and character. That's why in the Old Testament, and you see this again and again and again, that you, you see people... Well, Edom is born and he's all red. So they said, let's call him red. That's what Edom means, you see. And, 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 and so uh, actually they, they name him Esau, I guess, uh, originally it means Harry. And then they change his name to red, uh, which means, um, well, it has to do with that bowl of stew he was willing to sell his birthright for. But in any case, they comes out, they say, let's call him Harry. Later, they make fun of him and call him red. But so names do get changed. But, but we name people, we name our kids uh, based on some characteristic that we see in them. We've done this very thing. We named our first son Nathan. People are like, oh, that's a good prophetic name. It's a good name of a good prophet. And, and it is. The, the only problem is we weren't Christians when we named him Nathan. We, we named him after Nat King Cole. And, and so... Uh, but we did become Christians. And when we had our second son, Joshua, he was a real fighter. I mean, he was a rib breaker or at least a rib bruiser. Let me be very accurate. Pam was just like, this guy is just beating me up from the inside out. I said, let's name him Joshua, fighter, you know, intense guy. And, and, and so that's how they did it. And that's how we continue to do it. And when he says holy is or Hollywood is set apart, unlike any other pure is your name. He's saying, God, inherently your nature, your character is perfect. It's unlike any other. It's holy. His name, by the way, so venerated among the Jews. They didn't even know how to pronounce it. I made mention of Y-H-W-H. We know in English that Y is sometimes used as a vowel. That doesn't happen in Hebrew. And so Y-H-W-H becomes unpronounceable. I, I tried last time I brought it up. I, I can't do it. I, I, I could say something bizarre, but why? You can do that yourself. And, and uh, the thing is, is only the high priest knew how to pronounce the name of God. Why would, would God do that? Because his name was so set apart, so different, so holy, so venerated, that only on the day of atonement when the high priest would go from the holy place into the holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the, the law was covered over by the mercy seat and the cherubim uh, hung over and, and, and where God would manifest his presence there in the tabernacle in the form of a cloud or, or well, here's the thing. On the day of atonement, one time each year the high priest would enter into that holy of holies and while everyone was celebrating outside he would whisper the name of God they held it in such high esteem orthodox Jews would never write the name of God some of them wouldn't even write Y-H-W-H they just wrote the name T-H-E-N-A-M-E if they were writing in English which of course they weren't and I have friends in Israel that still do that to this day. They send me emails and they won't write the Old Testament name. Now, they'll write Jesus because we're told, call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. But he won't write an Old Testament name of God, not Jehovah, because, well, there's no J in Hebrew. So there is no Jehovah and not Yahweh, because that might actually be accurate. 
And if it is, well, he still holds God's name in such high esteem. He doesn't want to say it and he doesn't even want to write it. Well, in any case, he says we should see him that way. We should see that he wants this intimacy. We should acknowledge that he's all powerful, that he sees all, that he can do all. And then we should acknowledge his name and his character is above and unlike any other. Now, having acknowledged our relationship to him and our awe of him, we move to our first petition. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. This is the ultimate priority in prayer. Jesus made this clear when he said, seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. All what things? Every other good and necessary thing. But it all comes with acknowledging that it's his kingdom we're about. It's, 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 it's his will that we're after. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, well, we're, we're doing two things. We're really praying for two things. One, we're praying that he would establish his kingdom in our hearts, lives, homes, fellowship, wherever we're submitted to him, where we acknowledge he is the Lord. He is the king of kings. He will rule and reign forever and ever. Well, we're saying establish your kingdom in me. It's an invisible kingdom at this point. We are a part of it. But there's another aspect, and that's the visible, physical, tangible kingdom that everyone will see, where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now get this, Jesus says flesh and blood are not going to be able to inherit the kingdom. That's why we must be born again. That's why we must be, in the words of Paul, adopted in. Paul just again and again and again talks about the reality of this relationship as God has chosen us, adopting us, making us his children. So that's why we can pray. Our Father, we're children of God. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we say your kingdom come, we're acknowledging our desire to see, well, all he intends in our lives and then all he intends ultimately on this earth. By the way, first words out of John the Baptist as he came preaching in the wilderness, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus, after his baptism and temptation, word for word, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew uses kingdom of heaven and he's the only one that uses that phrase. The others say kingdom of God. Matthew does that as well. He uses it, though, interchangeably. Takes things that Luke or the others will say kingdom of heaven. Matthew says, or kingdom of God, excuse me. Matthew says kingdom of heaven. We're really talking about the same reality. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. This is just us submitting our lives to him. Our, our, as we acknowledge that he has a perfect will for our lives. And as we're actually saying, I want your will for my life. Well, you got to know that Jesus is going to answer these prayers in the affirmative as we acknowledge our relationship and his greatness and his holiness. And then we say, Lord, we want your kingdom above anything and everything. And we understand that in your kingdom, your will has to be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Some refuse to pray it. Others are fearful of praying it. But Jesus prayed it. In the garden, he prayed, if there's any other way, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And aren't you glad? Aren't you blessed that, that he prayed it? In the flesh, he was saying, man, not the cross, not the sin, not, not, but, but, but in the spirit, he's saying, Father, your will, your perfect will for my life, let it be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, we go further. We get to our petitions for provision, for forgiveness, for guidance, for deliverance. And then we get his encouragement to make sure we're persisting in prayer. While he didn't tell them they needed to pray, knowing they would be praying, he's teaching them how to pray. And then he exhorts all of us to make sure when we pray that we persist in our prayers. Well, note the first petition. It's not for luxuries. It's for daily necessities. The first of those being our daily bread. By praying, give us this day our daily bread. We're acknowledging that we are dependent on him. Now, I do think we have sort of a built-in problem here in the 21st century when we say, give us this day our daily bread. Then we go home to a full refrigerator and, and uh, you know, freezer. But you need to know those first disciples, they'd forsaken all to follow him. They'd given up their livelihood. They used to fish so they could provide for themselves. They had all the fish they wanted. They could trade the fish they didn't need for everything else they did need. But now they're following Jesus. And he's saying, you're going to need to depend on me completely. Now they knew in their history, their ancestors, their forefathers had been fed with manna for 40 years in the wilderness wandering period. And they were there when Jesus blessed and broke the bread and took the fish and multiplied them, feeding the 5,000 men plus the women and children. They knew what God had done. They knew what Jesus could do. And now he's saying, I want you to pray. And I want you to pray this every day. Give us day by day our daily bread. Of course, it speaks to us not just physically. In our situation, perhaps the spiritual application even more important. You know that the Bible warns that there will be a time of famine and it won't be a famine for physical bread, but for the word of God itself. And we're living in days where well, when I was young and in school, the Ten Commandments were on the wall. I'm not going to get into a big thing on it, but I do think it was a serious mistake to take them out. Why? There was something good about having young men and young women, boys and girls, see, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not. Why? Because it said there's a moral code, that there are absolutes, that these things are wrong and that we're not to be doing them. Well, in any case, we need the bread of God's word daily. If you're a new Christian or you give your life to the Lord, the Bible talks about de desiring the pure milk of God's word so you can grow thereby. He talks about you being born again. You're a spiritual baby. You need the milk of the word. As you mature, he says you need the meat of the word. But all of us need our daily bread. And I'm certain he's intending that we see it both physically and spiritually. Hallowed be thy name. 
Exodus chapter 20, verse 7 tells us, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now there's quite a difference between simply not taking the Lord's name in vain and showing the respect and reverence to God that he deserves when you address him. It's funny, as a kid I was taught to always address adults as sir or ma'am. It was a simple way for me as a child to show respect to my elders. Now our culture has changed quite a bit to the point where people do not always want to be called sir or ma'am. But God has not changed and it is still quite important for us to show respect to the Lord as instructed by Jesus in our passage today. Recognizing that his name is hallowed and keeping it that way for yourself by addressing the Lord in an honoring and respectful way. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico and you can visit our website ccchico.com or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.